Hello, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining in episode 101. So a bit of a recap this time before I kick off. I want to share a little story. So Kelly Slater is basically known as the best surfer that has ever lived. He was born in 1972, so he's 48 years old. He still regularly competes alongside the best in the world. He's won a total of 11 world titles and widely regarded as basically the best surfer we've ever had. Now, there's something interesting that uh, you know we can notice in Kelly's career. There's been a lot of instances where he's been in competition. Usually, these what are called heats will be you know, uh, a couple of people head-to-head to basically try to advance to the next round. So he's been in these heats in a losing position in the heat or in the competition as a whole or at a critical part of the competition. And in the very last seconds of this heat, he'll somehow almost seemingly manifest the perfect wave out of nowhere when people don't expect it. Uh, and get enough points to advance to the next round or to win the competition outright. Now, his ability to almost procure these, you know, sets, these waves out of nowhere, was so uh, pronounced that people started to say, you know, Kelly is magical. He's a magician. He's connected to the ocean. He has the ability to call waves, right, to bring the waves in when he needs them. Now, this, of course, could be the case, uh, but what we do know is that after a lifetime of surfing, we can expect that Kelly is very good at innately, almost subconsciously recognizing patterns, patterns with the wind, patterns with the tide, patterns with the ocean. We know that sets, which are kind of like the little pulses of biggest well, uh, exist as a sort of superposition of different sets over or different swells overlapping and they'll come in sort of phases and so this is this is all a, a matter of seeing patterns and understanding where and when these sets might come and where they might break and so we can see and and also understand why Kelly is able to see these waves and understand where they're coming because he's got such a long intimate history with watching, experiencing, and riding these waves. So this concept of patterns is basically what I'm going to touch on today. I want to talk about uh, a little bit of a pattern that I've seen in the first 100 episodes, right? So uh, effectively, when you get to speak with, work with, and observe a lot of small business owners, in particular in the health and wellness space, you start to see what works really well, what doesn't. Um, and while there's no necessarily sort of definite or defined um, frameworks or guidelines because each situation is different, we definitely see themes that are common or patterns that are common to those who do well. So effectively, we're going to call this three uh, lessons in self-leadership that we can learn, three patterns that can help in terms of self-leadership. Uh, and business success that we can learn from the first 100 episodes. So I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, This is John Marshall listening to the Access Potential Podcast. Okay, so the first pattern that I really want to recognize is this concept of 
consistency, but it's going to look at it a little, little bit differently. And this is a concept that was really dialed in on the last episode uh, with Seth Godin. However, it also popped up throughout some of the other episodes. And that is that consistency is key. And not just for consistency's sake, but consistency allows us to build trust. So in the previous episode, uh, Seth made the distinction between confidence and trust. He says confidence means that we're sure something is going to happen. Trust means that we believe in our practice. And so having consistency in our practice builds trust in our practice. When we build trust in our practice, we can build trust in ourselves and our ability to show up. And when we have this, we, we have this kernel of trust in ourselves. And this becomes very critical because when we look at business, we're effectively looking at relationship, right? A value exchange between two different parties or more. Uh, and so trust in ourselves allows us to have trust in our work, allows us to extend trust to others, whether that's a business partner, colleagues, or to the people that we serve. And this becomes very key for us to have a long-term sustainable business. You know, a lot of people get into business and they start something and they get caught up in social media and this sort of frenzy kicks off. Uh, but the frenzy is kind of like the opposite expression of trust. Trust allows us to go at our own pace. It allows us to speak to the people that we want to serve, to tell the stories uh, that resonate with them and them only. You know, we don't need to speak to everybody and trust allows us to do this. So, one of the other stories I wanted to talk about in terms of trust was from a good friend and mentor of mine who was on the podcast. His name is Pete Jacobs, and he I hung out hung out a lot with Pete around 2009, 2010. He was is a professional triathlete, won the Ironman Triathlon World title in 2012. Now, one of the stories that we didn't share on the podcast was around 2010 11 pete was out for a bike ride and we used to always ride up and down uh, from the start of sort of sydney's northern beaches up to the end of the peninsula and then go inland anyway one day on the ride back he a, a van i think it was stopped suddenly in front of him it was the van's fault uh, pete hit the van and effectively let, found himself on the ground with a broken collarbone so, of course, this put him out of training for a while. Now, the thing that was interesting was the physios, sports scientists, doctors, everyone was like, you know, you can continue to train. You can continue to ride on your bike on a, on a stationary trainer. You can do aqua jogging in the pool. You can, you can go for walks. Pete basically did nothing. For the next five weeks, he more or less rested. And this is an expression of the trust that he had in his ability to show up. You know, this was before he won the title, but he knew, and he, he even had a race not long after he was going to come back from this injury, but he knew he had, he had shown through his own consistency that he could trust himself and that it was okay 
to pause, to rest, to allow his life to be lived through him and not fight the injury. He didn't have to try to fight the outcome. He could allow it to come through. And he had the nervous system capacity through trusting himself to relax and to let this heal. And then, of course, he came back and was able to come back to training and ended up uh, you know, winning the title in Hawaii. So trust is, is critical. And what we see is that the consistency in the practice, whether that's your content creation, whether that's your, you know, uh, writing, whether that's your podcast, whatever it might be in your business, allows us to build this trust in ourselves. So the fact that we trust ourselves can be a narrative, but uh, as typically, you know, as usual, the narrative needs support in reality in order to be sustained. Uh, Another example of this, you know, we had, uh, I was very lucky to have seen a king who's a sort of world-renowned burlesque dancer on the podcast. And one of the lessons that we learned from Cena was that, you know, similarly, she left her corporate job and went headfirst into her dream of being becoming a burlesque dancer and traveling the globe. And this, this trust in her ability to take this leap, you know, and we see this a lot, is to take this leap out of, the job out of the career out of this position of relative safety to follow the heart and do the thing which may not be so comfortable may not be so guaranteed but but still have the trust in ourselves to do this is really powerful and effectively when we look at any leap any switch from careers or jobs or you know businesses into something new a new container a new domain it has to have this underlying element of trust in self in order to be possible, right? So, uh, you know, we can learn so much from this. And one of the questions that we can ask ourselves is, you know, if we, and it's, it's sort of a little bit of an odd question, but if we were walking down the street and we literally met ourselves walking towards us, and we spent a week together, would we trust one another? You know, would we trust one, would I trust myself to show up if I got to hang out with myself for the day? And if so, how did I build that trust? You know, what was the practice? What was the consistent acts over time that I did that allowed me to get that? How can I lean into those? And if not, if I look at my behavior and the actions that I take on a day-to-day basis, and I, and I, I perceive or I think that I might not trust myself, what kinds of acts, what small repeatable actions could I take day to day that would allow me to relax into this and build trust for myself over time? So this was number one, the first one I wanted to touch on, trust in self, probably uh, one of the key patterns that we see with those that have the high level of self-leadership, which of course extends into uh, other forms of leadership as well. Um, But definitely not one that people talk a lot about, but one that we can dive into and reflect on and then of course do work around in order to elevate this trust as well. Once you build trust in yourself 
in your ability to sit into the task at hand uh, and and sort of build out that nervous system capacity to be in the moment with whatever is happening. Uh, inevitably, we tend to find that we not only are able to give more trust to others, but we also receive more trust from others at the same time as well. Okay, so the second one, I want to talk a little bit about a story. You know, when we go into, there's, there's a cafe that I really like here in Newcastle that I talk about a little bit. It's called the Autumn Rooms. And we had Ben Richardson from the Autumn Rooms, co, uh, a founder of the Autumn Rooms on the podcast, which was a great episode. So when you go to the Autumn Rooms, you know, if you're lucky, you'll get a table. It's it's that good. It's that popular. Um Now, you'll find a spot and you sit down, they'll come grab your order. And, you know, I like to order, my my go-to order is a a banana shake and then an espresso, double espresso on the side, not combined. And I haven't gotten one of these for a while, but it is my favorite. Now, when you order an espresso, you're basically thrown in the deep end, right? So you'll get asked a couple of questions. Do you want, you know, the house blend or a single origin? Uh, when you you know go to choose, there might be a couple of different options of the single origin. Three or four minutes later, they'll come back back out with the two uh, with the with the coffee with the espresso, and you'll get a little card with it. And the card will tell you where the bean was from, how it was roasted. Uh, it'll tell you you know the flavor undertones. It'll tell you the name of the farm that the original coffee beans were grown on, the country of origin, all of these things. And it'll even describe the relationship that uh, they have with these people too who grow the coffee beans. So all sorts of information to help educate you as a consumer. So you enjoy your coffee, you know, maybe it was the espresso, maybe you order long black or whatever it is. And then when you go to pay, it'll, you know, cost you $4 or whatever it is. Now, let's have a little bit of a think here, right? So you come into the space that has, you know, it's warm, it has the table, it has uh, the nice, you know, bit of ambience, a bit of music. You get the education around the coffee. So if you actually listen and pay attention, you learn a lot about coffee. You get the experience, right? You get the whole experience. You get the attention from the person who's serving you, which is, uh, you know, rare these days. You get... You get nice attention over time. You get the coffee itself, uh, which is, you know, brewed on a nice machine. You get the culture, the people who are in the cafe, the the, um, the, the chatter, the little buzz, you know, the coffee culture buzz. You get the conversation with the person who's taking the order. And you also get a transformation towards becoming a more educated, well-rounded coffee drinker, right? So this is, you know, something that we often forget is that in that educational piece, you actually transform your your identity as the coffee drinker goes up. So effectively for $4, you know, plus or minus, we get all of this value, right? We don't just get the coffee. If you just get the coffee, uh, then it's more like, you know, driving through a sort of the petrol station and getting the coffee and the difference is not because this just because this coffee tastes better it's the entire experience 
So we, when we map out this experience, what we can see is that for that same $4, uh, this is a real bargain. So we're getting a lot of value as a human. We're getting all of this sort of uh, intangible value for that same investment. So what, of course, we're talking about here is generosity, right? And so at the autumn rooms, there's a consistent level of care or attention given to giving more than they receive right so yes of course they're paid for the service or the product but what they give for that the experience that they create the value that they create experientially is far higher than what we feel we're paying which is why we continually go back okay now another example uh, a good friend of mine and uh, someone who was in the APA program last year, John O'Franz, when you know he was on the podcast also, and Jono's story was that he was a personal trainer and he finished his certificates, and he decided that he wanted to go and help people. He wanted to do this, right? He wanted to do this as his job, as his sort of career at the time. And what he saw very quickly was that at his gym he was going to have to pay rent right so he asked his manager tentatively when he kicked off if he could have four weeks for free uh, as long as he hustled right and as long as he got he brought value and was able to pay rent beyond that point so he got the four weeks and effectively Jono walked around the gym and he started helping people for free he helped people with their lifting with their stretching with their movements with the exercise he gave attention, he gave time, he gave education, he transformed, he asked for nothing. And by the time the four weeks were up, he had uh, over 25 clients in a full book, uh, which he basically maintained, you know, for years. And so again, we're seeing an example of giving more than we get. It's this concept of generosity, it's this concept of bringing value far higher than uh, what we're receiving. And so in our work, you know, the question that we can ask ourselves in line with this pattern for successes and self-leadership is in our work, you know, we provide a product or a service. And somewhere along the line, somehow our story told us that the amount that this product or service was worth uh, was a certain figure, right? And that we were we were getting paid for this and it was what what's called fair value. Everything was kind of at equilibrium, right? We were paid for our work. Um, so the question is, what happens when we challenge this? You know, what happens when we ask the question, where can I give more? How can I create a positive imbalance in the value exchange? So when we have this agreed upon perception of this value exchange, a certain product or service for a certain amount of money or fee, how can we give so much more? How can we try to create an imbalance so that for the same investment, we're giving twice as much value as what was previously in that agreement? How can we surprise and delight over and above? So this is kind of the second pattern that popped up time and time again throughout these episodes is is, is giving more than we get, is this concept of generosity. Of course, as you can see, it's stemming from the trust in ourselves and trust in our practice as well, because we need an element of trust for generosity to be received, 
right? If I don't have any trust, uh, I'm not able to walk around the gym and help people because they simply will ignore me. Uh, they need to, I need to have trust with them before I can bring that value or that generosity. So the third one I want to talk about is um, the mental, emotional, energetic, and time investment in relationship. And while we've been speaking about self-leadership, uh, of course, we, we very quickly can see that this flows into leading others. And so we need to kind of touch on this a little bit. The, the takeaway here really is around culture. And effectively, what we can see in these last 100 episodes is that culture is really key to small business growth. Uh, and we noticed this in particular uh, with a lot of the women that were on the show, which is really cool. We had uh, Emily Ryan, we had Britton Chow from Pineapple Fitness, we had Nerida from Lassam. I also want to give a shout out to Joe, though, Joe Worthington. We did learn a lot from him also. But effectively, when we look at this group of mostly women, we saw, we see straight away a high level of emphasis or high level of energy going into relationship. You know, so when Britt and Shell started their business at Pineapple Fitness, the first, the very first thing that they did was they got help. Not help for the movements, not help for the logo, not help for the name, not help for, you know, how to how to store the barbells or how to set up the gym, but help for how they could relate to one another more powerfully. How could they take what they knew from their own self-leadership skills and bring this into the ability and act of leading others in their gym? So how could they relate you know, this starts with each other as business partners. How could they, would they relate with each other more powerfully? And effectively, they seeked out coaching in this area of culture. So culture is key. Um, and really, it's recognizing that your business, even if you're solo, is built on relationship. Your entire ability to innovate, create something interesting, uh, and create interesting conversations that ripple outward to create a broader change is based on the story that's being told at the top level, at the staff level, and at the community level. And that really the story that's being told and shared and ripples through is built on relationship, it's built on communication, and this collectively starts to create culture. So those are the three patterns that I wanted to share kind of in reflection as we cap off the first 100 episodes and move headfirst into the second 100. So got some great guests coming up uh, that I look forward to sharing with you as well. Hope you enjoyed this one, a quick recap on them, the three patterns for self-leadership with the three keys for self-leadership from the first 100. Consistency is key because consistency builds trust. Trust in ourselves is the platform for the business growth. It's our ability to sit in the moment. It's our ability to deal with uh, things when they get tough. It's our ability to trust other people. It's our ability. It's the ability for people to trust us. Uh, number two is to give more than we get. Constantly be challenging, challenging the narrative that things are at fair value. How can we recalibrate this and try to give more value than what seems fair? How can we give 
far more than we receive. And this has consistently shown up as a strong driver for growth across a lot of these businesses. Uh, number three, the final key one that keeps coming through time and time again, and a big one that's been uh, that that has been illustrated with a lot of the amazing women on the show is this element of uh, culture and relationship and communication that we need to be allocating energy and time to this on a daily cycle, on a weekly cycle, monthly, quarterly. This is an ongoing pillar of any business, even as a sole trader. And that relationship at all levels is really your future currency as a business itself. So how can I, you know, how can I lean into this? How can I build more relationship with the people around me? Who can I reach out to? Who can I support? Who can I see more clearly? Who can I, uh, who, who wants to be heard around me? And how might this change the performance of my business? That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this one. We'll see you on the next episode with a pretty special guest. Thank you for joining me once again. This is John Marsh. You've just listened to another episode of the Access Potential Podcast.